Hello and welcome to Business Lines Pulse podcast that tunes into all things health and pharmaceuticals. I'm Jyoti Datta. It's a new year and a time for new beginnings. But this time around, it, it's also the third year of the pandemic, a time when Omicron, or rather the Omicron variant of the coronavirus, has healthcare administrators worried on the rising number of cases. And we are seeing this right across the world and the effect that this could have on the existing um, healthcare, the hospital structures and systems in place. And that is where home healthcare comes in. In fact, not a minute too soon, just yesterday on Jan 5th, the government has revised its guidelines on home healthcare. And we have a platform in India called NatHealth, um, you know, that sort of incorporates hospitals, uh, path labs, and various arms of healthcare, medical technology companies and all of them. And they too have come out with a white paper on home healthcare, where they're raising various very uh, pertinent issues, especially when it comes to uh, patient care and all of that, on standardizing procedures, privacy, and a whole bunch of other issues. So to give us an understanding of uh, where we are today and to actually get an um, idea on why all of this is important, we have with us NatHealth Secretary General, Mr. Siddhartha Bhattacharya. Thank you, Mr. Bhattacharya, for joining us today. Pleasure to be here, Jyoti. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, just to get started, so, you know, with uh, the Delta variant earlier and now with the rise of the Omicron, you know, it has really put the spotlight on home health care. And yet there remains so much to be done in terms of standardization of guidelines and so on. So how did NatHealth come about to actually, uh, you know, discussing this and coming out with a white paper? And what are, your, what are the key suggestions that you make? Sure. So as you uh, have outlined, uh, this is the third year of the pandemic. And given the infectious nature of the Omicron variant, uh, it seems likely that uh, the India's uh, healthcare system would need definitely capacity, both in the short and the medium term. And uh, while uh, we observed in the wave one and wave two, there was a uh, much, uh, there's a quick rush to the hospitals, so as to say, the first sign of infections. This time around, you would have noticed that there is a grading and there is a certain deliberate way for by the government to uh, really come up with uh, guidelines uh, for uh, really focusing on the continuum of care, which means those uh, who need acute care uh, and acute interventions, they only need to go to hospitals, but those who have you know, mild symptoms, minor symptoms, they uh, would be uh, treated and cared for in the convenience of their home. And that's actually what happened. You'd be surprised to note that in the wave two, when a lot of the hospitals were really uh, getting clogged and uh, there's a lot of patients, beds were not available, uh, the home care segment, a very nascent segment, uh, actually uh, looked after uh, nearly two crore patients in India. And this is not only a coronavirus patient, uh, you would also understand that uh, India has a lot of non-COVID patients who needs regular treatments, guidelines, uh, I mean, treatments uh, and adherence to uh, protocols. Uh, and when the, uh, the entire system was uh, at its uh, full capacity, uh, the nascent home care system has really uh, grown significantly. Uh, and uh, it has catered to uh, over 20 million patients uh, during the later part of wave one and wave two. So from a natural perspective, it became very important then to uh, really speak to these organizations, understand better what were the driving forces and what really you know, led to uh, creation of such a 
capacity in the short run. And remember, every patient that is being treated away from hospital, uh, if they can be treated uh, away from hospital in the convenience of a home, means that a hospital bed is freed up for uh, somebody who needs that bed, uh, somebody who's a more critical uh, patient and needs that, that bed more. So this uh, led to a set of uh, consultations, deliberations, and uh, we have come up with this paper uh, with the viewpoint uh, of uh, all the major uh, stakeholders in the ecosystem uh, within industry, as you mentioned, hospitals, diagnostic chains, insurance companies, home care companies, senior care companies, investor uh, fraternities, and we've come up with hopefully something that is not only relevant for wave three and during this pandemic, but home care becomes a integral component of the continuum of care that allows uh, the uh, expansion of India's healthcare delivery capacity, not only in tier one, but in tier two, tier three, and tier four cities as we go along. Right. So two crore is, you know, quite a large number considering that, uh, you know, this was not spoken about earlier. And it's, in fact, it remains a very disorganized space and people, you know, with literally learning as somebody calls sick, they don't know where to go, whom to ask, how much to pay. Does this all get um, linked back to a hospital? Is the, you know, how, how does it work? Does the hospital work as a hub that will uh, support these uh, home care companies or do home care companies thrive uh, on their own with, with their own people and systems? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So if you really look into this paper, uh, we have uh, really come up with three broad areas. Uh, and you have actually hit the first point, uh, nearly 98%, more than 98% of the home care uh, you know, ecosystem today is extremely fragmented. Uh, it is non-institutional uh, and it is uh, something that, that really requires uh, the regulatory and governance focus. Uh, the, in the broad theme of regulatory and governance focus, there's an urgent need to establish minimum standards for home care providers, which are required to streamline standardized care delivery. And this requires uh, some sort of a national licensing standard under either the Clinical Establishment Act under which hospitals come or through a separate uh, policy framework. But it's very important to, uh, for the consumers to really uh, understand the ones which, which meet a certain level of quality standards, uh, which is regulated versus the ones who don't, right? The second uh, very important aspect uh, is uh, that the medical care that is being provided outside healthcare institutions needs to be with, integrated with institutional care. Uh, and this is important from an initiation, referral, handover, uh, discharge uh, home modification equipment monitoring systems perspective. Home care should not be seen as an uh, as a standalone uh, you know island. Uh, it is very important to augment uh, the continuum and the uh, and the, and the smooth uh, you know handling of the patient in different aspect, really from a patient perspective, right? Of course, uh, there's a need to mainstream um, the quality systems, the accreditation standards. Uh, once you have the licensing, then you need to know which are the, uh, the standards and uh, safety uh, appropriateness of the care and the treatment protocols being adhered to becomes very important. Uh, and of course, uh, to ensure uh, uh, you know, transparent delivery uh, and patient trust importance around safety, privacy, uh, data uh, security regulations. Uh, data becomes a, essentially a very important token in the way the home care organizations and the institutional care providers exchange information on patients. 
and digital uh, technology, particularly by the equipment manufacturers, becomes uh, a key enabler for really scaling the last mile delivery. It's very important from in, in terms of ensuring visibility and the accessibility data to patients and the family on a real-time basis. So these are some of the uh, areas uh, which are required to formalize uh, the home care sector. Uh, our estimate is this sector is uh, right now uh, from a total revenue or from a market size perspective is about $5 billion. Uh, and this can easily become four to five times in the next two to three years. Uh, employ an additional two to three million uh, really well-qualified uh, health workers and the digital, uh, uh, you know, the technologies and the cutting edge systems that are evolving, the architecture that is evolving, it's possible to scale the home care delivery in uh, tier one as well as in the tier two, tier three, tier four at scale. And that's kind of one broad theme. I'll just stop there. We have two other themes in this paper, but I'll just stop if there's any questions you have on this. Right, right. In fact, you've thrown up several points uh, there. First things first, so on quality, so who regulates this industry? I mean, you did talk about the Clinical Establishments Act, but as we know, uh, you know, there is much to be said there, even in terms of, uh, you know, the regular nursing homes and all of that and how they get covered. But so in, in terms of home health care, who uh, really would be the quality control or the regulator here? So um, as I told you just now, 98% uh, of, uh, of the market today is, uh, is unregulated, right? The uh, many states uh, regulate home care uh, under, uh, at times under, um, I mean, even home care has a very plethora, a very large variety of services and offerings, right? From baseline services, human resource sort of uh, uh, providing uh, uh, you know home support towards more advanced home-based services like uh, dialysis services or you know post-hospital uh, release uh, recuperative services. Uh, many of those services are attached uh, often to hospitals, and there it comes under Clinical Establishment Act. And some uh, some services comes under Shops and Establishment Act. But in terms of creating an overarching uh, regulatory framework, you know, which falls, uh, which really defines which services fall under what uh, policy guidelines, I think this paper really throws out some options and hopefully it will result uh, into a well-regulated and a high-quality service sector. Right. You're not uh, suggesting a separate authority or, uh, you know, like you have the DCGI for pharmaceuticals and that sort of thing you're not uh, suggesting a not that yes it, it has to be well integrated with the with the uh, the care continuum and the institutional care it shouldn't be a separate island of excellence but that's really right. for uh, government to decide which way they would like to go right so healthcare and uh, you know especially um, you know in india health much about healthcare also becomes about the cost of healthcare which becomes very contentious. And, you know, except maybe in COVID cases where some insurance companies may, you know, cover uh, home care, what does the white paper suggest on financing of, uh, you know, of home health care? Absolutely. So uh, the second uh, pillar is really the care financing piece, as you have mentioned, very important. And I think the broad, you know, the principle on, on which this paper is based is that what can be done at home safely and as per the convenience of the patient must be done at home. And uh, it's very important that uh, that philosophy translates into, uh, there's a need for us to develop uh, standard treatment guidelines uh, based on those procedures uh, that 
can be done at home based on local and international protocols. And uh, it's very important to uh, bring in financing of care, which means, uh, for example, insurance coverage, right? Uh, which, uh, which right now is very focused on hospital admission to also include uh, you know, elements that are preventive, promotive, and rehabilitative, which are, you know, inward uh, points leading to a hospitalization and post-hospitalization discharge. And these can be really uh, step-down facilities where uh, appropriate as per the standard care guidelines, uh, which can be done um, often, uh, you know, with uh, both physical and digital interventions with the appropriate monitoring and oversight of a qualified uh, physician, whether in an institutional setting or in a community setting. But this would really improve accessibility, uh, affordability, and a proper uh, you know, element of care, which is uh, personalized and it is available for those who need it at a point where they need it. Uh, and, and not really paying uh, you know, for acute care when you don't need an acute care uh, level of uh, protection. Uh, this also would require uh, really as to, to, to build a uh, mature ecosystem around home care. Um, there is a need for providing GST benefits as are laid out in institutional healthcare providers uh, it, do, who come under a GST exempt category. And there are uh, numerous other, other models for uh, tax breaks to incentivize or development of these uh, models, uh, home care models in semi-urban rural areas. Uh, along with potential tax holidays for new entrants. This is also going to be a pretty labor intensive and a employment generating activity. And once you are able to build a certain critical ecosystem in tier two, tier three, tier four cities, this will also augment the, the critical care delivery where uh, our institutional facilities will be able to achieve uh, better uh, coverage and wider outcome. And this can be done at a fraction of investment compared to what it costs to build a hospital. So even in those places where a hospital model is not viable, uh, this sort of model can be, uh, you know, a step-up measure, uh, leading to, uh, you know, utilization, better utilization and coverage of hospitals that are located. And from the patient point of view, you're saying that insurance, you know, sort of lays out the guidelines and clarifies on protocols that get covered. And it's good for the insurance companies. It's win for the patients, win for, certainly for the providers. But from a payer perspective, if you are ha having a, a continuum of care, then you know uh, the the payers packages uh, could be targeted towards uh, a different uh, treatment protocol, and it's ultimately going to result in better outcomes if you are able to you know intervene on a from a patient's perspective. Uh, on, on, on a disease order before they end up in the hospital. So you have much better information on the patient and continuum of care management, which ultimately is good from patient, payer, and provider perspective. You did mention um, data privacy. So again, you know, uh, will this be feeding into the government's, this uh, digital mission, you know, platform that they're talking about? And it's, it's a huge area. And I think just about everything links into everything else. So when it comes with... Uh, you know, uh, close links on one side with the healthcare provider, the insurance. So uh, does this become a huge concern from a patient point of view? No, actually the, the government, uh, the digital health infrastructure has set up, uh, you know, registries. So you have the patient registries, you have the facility registries, you have 
uh, and, and you have set up the interoperability standards. As long as the home care segment is, uh, is formalized and you are able to say which are the genuine home care providers with certain licenses and certain accreditations, the ability for, from a patient perspective, to interrelate these, uh, you know, these multiple data points and come under an overarching architecture, which is safe and secure, that allows uh, patient protection and patient choice. Uh, so I think it's a natural progression to integrate um, the, uh, you know, outside or non-hospital care providers into the digital health ecosystem, provide them the required uh, uh, you know, the unique identification numbers so that and allow them to play in the overarching ecosystem as long as it's beneficial for the uh, end user. Right, right. And um, you have also spoken about, uh, you know, the human resource now. And as we know with hospitals, you know, it's completely understaffed in terms of everything that we look at, whether it's the doctors, the support staff and all of that. So in this case, um, would it require you know, an entire new kind of training because we're talking of home care and uh, of course the whole standardization process as well. A little bit on how you this will be staffed. So uh, this would uh, certainly involve uh, involve a specialized you know home care workforce, and we require uh, specialized curriculum training standards for home care personnel. Today, there's a misnomer that, you know, the conventional nurses or the IRs or the attendants, um, they need to be upskilled uh, really with, uh, uh, in terms of the care elements. Uh, it's not only uh, attending to a patient, but it's really being able to interface with uh, care providers. Uh, and there are some real good standards available, global standards. And even within India, uh, you have a core of uh, providers who adhere to those standards. It's very important to institutionalize these multiple models of learning uh, to allow flexibility and interest from aspirants. It's very important to uh, break that, uh, that, uh, that brand image of the conventional uh, attendance, you know, saying this is an aspirational profession and create pathways for those who come into this segment into you know other areas of uh, healthcare uh, it's important to do role based licensing of specialized uh, skilled home care professionals uh, with periodic renewal mechanisms uh, equally important is uh, to really uh, recognize that the backbone of uh, home care delivery is on technology and on medical equipments uh, and there are uh, great, uh, very in, lot of innovations happening uh, both in India and around the world uh, in, in, in providing uh, the end patient the, the choice, uh, the control uh, and the convenience. Uh, and in terms of indigenous medtech development through PLI schemes, the R&D policy 2021, the PPO applicability for government schemes, PMJY, NH, NDHM, et cetera, it's possible to uh, really promote those indigenous technologies that allow care delivery, uh, you know, uh, and uh, care monitoring uh, directly to the end patients. Let me give one very specific example, which is the senior care space in India. It's very, very important to recognize that, uh, I mean, what we have today is a demographic dividend. One day is going to be uh, an aging population. And developing, uh, that's a population that's not going to age in hospitals, that's going to age in the community and the convenience of the home. So really creating models that, you know, that strengths the reach and the strength of the digital infrastructure 
leveraging our internet connectivity and the devices that support care delivery beyond metro cities is a very, very, uh, it's a long-term and a prudent decision. Uh, and I think India has the uh, human resources, the, uh, the depth of the technologies, the interoperabilities, and uh, the uh, underlying culture to really, uh, uh, to, 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 to really decentralize the care delivery. Uh, and these are, these are some of the elements this paper goes into, but capacity building becomes a core thematic area. And as we have more and more trained uh, healthcare delivery workers in the local communities, uh, the overarching the outcomes and the resilience of those communities will also increase over time. Right, very, very important. Uh, so what you're saying is this is not going to be a, you know, just an urban or a big city uh, phenomenon that you do see the model making sense even across, uh, you know, smaller cities and more remote areas as well, where, you know, the traditional hospitals are not probably there or, or, not, or not close enough. Yes. And uh, technology, I think, is reaching a critical point of inflection where these models beyond metros can also scale uh, with the underlying human resources and the right training, the learning and development framework. So I think we spoke on this not a minute too soon. Um, this is going to sort of develop into a really huge area of delivering care and taking some of that load off the traditional hospitals and nursing homes and all of that. With that, we bring this um, interaction to a close, Mr. Bhattacharya, from the BL team and myself. Thank you very much for your insights. Thank you so much. Pleasure being here. Good day. Yeah, thank you. You too.